Hi, this is Cindy Metchnik. I'm one of the co-authors of The Parent Compass. And this is Jen Curtis, and you are listening to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue podcast. I am your host, John Hewlin. Again, so thrilled you decided to spend some time with me today. And as you heard in that introduction, I have not only one guest, but two. That's right. I have two fantastic guests. I have Cindy and Jen. Ladies, how are you today? Good. Thank you. Great. Now, for those of you who weren't paying attention to what Cindy said, they are the co-authors of this fantastic book. Now, for those of you who are listening, I realize you can't hear the book, but it's called The Parent Compass. Now, let me give you the subtitle because it's a little longer. Navigating your teen's wellness and academic journey in today's competitive world. That's what we're talking about today. So let me tell you a little bit about the authors. Oh, in addition to that, the fact that they have this book out, they are both co-hosts of the Parent Compass podcast, which is on the smartsocial.com podcast network. Is that correct, ladies? Yes, right now it is on our website, um, all downloadable, all of our previous episodes. So we're in a pause of recording right now, but we do have about 12 episodes up that people can access. Okay. And remind everybody where that is? On our website, which is www.parentcompassbook.com, where you can find everything that we're doing and related to the book or be under the podcast tab. And your podcast will be up there once this airs. Woohoo! Very excited about that. All right. So, folks, let me tell you a little about Cindy. Cindy's a graduate of Stanford University. That's where she got her undergrad. And she is an expert on the college admissions process. Oh, and just as an aside, she's written 10 books. So she's kind of a big deal. You need to check her out. Check out those books. Because I started looking into some of those. They're very interesting. Now, it, they're very specific and targeted, but they're very interesting reading. Now, Jen, on the other hand, now she owns FutureWise Consulting. And it's an educational consulting company. She also happens to be a graduate of both UCLA and USC. Am I am I on topic here, ladies? Did I did I get it right? Good. We're not as tight. We we right. tag along with us wherever we go. We like it so far. Absolutely <laughs> happy to do that. Yeah, it's just just a, a minor fee that goes along with that. <laughs> all right. Get you later. So, all right. Let's ask the most obvious question: Why write the book? Um. When Operation Varsity Blues came out um, a couple years ago, for people who don't know what that is, the college admissions scandal, um, mm. being educational consultants and experts in the college admission field, um, that's how Cindy and I met, both of us. Um, we share that profession. And so we would, you know, get together every now and then. Um, and it can be a, a bit of an isolated profession um, aside from working with our clients. So we would get together and kind of bounce uh, ideas off of one another. And so that day when the varsity blues scandal broke, um, our first call was to one another and we were, uh, we couldn't take our eyes off of the news and we couldn't stop talking about, um, 
the horror of what was going on mm. in front of us. And what that ended up prompting was also these discussions about what we were seeing in our own practices. And while we were not seeing fraud and bribery, bribery we were seeing parents who were overstepping, um, kids who were over-tutored and over-parented. Um, and really the impacts were disturbing. Um, kids were coming in exhausted and voiceless and uh, we were noticing parenting patterns that were leading to um, these outcomes. But at the same time, we were also seeing kids who were thriving and parent-child relationships that were really intact. And um, we were talking about those patterns of kind of the differences between the two groups. And we felt like we really had this message to get out there um, pertaining to parenting strategies that help students um, high school students, tweens and teens to thrive and can contribute to intact parent-child relationships. And so really that day, the Parent Compass was born um, and we moved forward full steam ahead writing this book to get our message out there. Okay. Yeah, I think that seeing it through the lens of consultants who've worked with students for together a combined 30 years we really have our finger on the pulse of what is going on in high schools and middle schools today uh, from the students that we, you know, we got this really interesting lens and, and uh, you know, it just felt like there was a void in the market of someone talking about what parents could do differently to help preserve the mental health of these teens and to help preserve their relationship with these teens. And Varsity Blues just, you know, was the most extreme, obnoxious example of parents who didn't believe in their own kids and didn't appreciate and see their own kids. And so we we really pressed to get this book out. And as you know, in the news right now, um, you know, the parents are being still now, the, the first group of parents is going to trial between now and through January, this will kind of wrap up. So it's been in the news for about the last two years. And, you know, the book will will live on beyond that. And hopefully nothing like this extreme will ever happen again because people will learn some hard learned lessons. I'll say, though, that that we intentionally did not write the book about Operation Varsity Blues. Um, it had a couple of pages in there because we wanted to reproduce the transcripts of how these parenting behaviors had truly impacted the kids and what they said in their own words. Um, but the book is not, while that was the catalyst, it's certainly not about Varsity Blues in any way. It's about, it's, it's a parenting etiquette book, frankly. Um, and in fact, that kind of was our, our initial title. Um, it, it's about helping parents understand appropriate parenting behavior. Gotcha. Okay. So and I'm going to ask just kind of a, a series of questions that came from my reading from the book. Uh, so the first one is, what is intentional parenting? I think intentional parenting um, kind of goes back to the idea of what is a parent compass? So a parent compass um, in its truest form is really um, a, 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 a guide, a, a, a true north, a, um, a way to hold yourself accountable for the kind of parenting that's going to um, lead to thriving kids. And so um, intentional parenting I would say it's kind of keeping that parent compass um, image in mind. And it is parenting your children, um, thinking, thinking about the, the long view. So it is, you know, 
thinking about um, each of our interactions with our kids and making conscious choices about what is what is this in service of? You know, what is um, asking them about their test scores? What's that in service of? Versus um, when they come in the door, asking them questions that elicit um, answers that kind of facilitates really meaningful dialogue. Um, so it's it's making conscious choices um, that contribute to the long-term relationship uh, with our kids. Cindy and I actually um, wear parent compass necklaces. I see that you're wearing yours today. Um, and the reason is that, again, we want to remind ourselves to be intentional. Um, and we want to do that each and every day. So we wear a tangible reminder that, that, that helps us fine, um, remember to, uh, to make intentional choices in every one of our interactions with our kids. That's and great. let me, yeah. And I'll just add, John, um, it is not easy to do. It's, it's, that, it takes absolutely, it takes, pra- it takes practice. It takes a willingness to be brave and it takes a willingness to try. And what we lay out in the parent compass are, you know, cha- all these different thematic chapters with not just case studies, but interviews we've done with um, thought leaders, teachers, students, college counselors, psychologists, mm-hmm. other parenting authors, um, and even, you know, the science and the data behind a lot of the things we're talking about to sort of bolster our parent compass message. And so we even ourselves talk about mistakes that we've made in our parenting journey and continue to make, even as writers of the Parent Compass. So Jen and I are not just coming to the table saying, hey, you know, we're perfect and this is how to do it. We're saying, hey, we're working at this too. And this 24-7 job that seems to happen from the moment our babies take their first breath until who knows when we cut that umbilical cord. Um, the reality is that we are all always trying to kind of do better really for the sake of our kids and hoping that they find their true north, what makes them happy, hoping they feel seen and appreciated by us at whatever kind of student, whatever kind of non-student they may be. Just that we love them unconditionally and we want them to lead happy and thriving lives without us micromanaging and making all these decisions for them and, and smothering them. So the book, you know, challenges the reader um, but we hope that it does it in a way that, um, you know, that makes these steps palpable and, and possible for parents. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, <clears throat> so the parent compass clearly is not a, uh, it's not the, the totem, the necklaces for you all that you're wearing. Those are just your reminders, but it's a, it's a way it's, it's, it's a guide for parenting. So let me ask this, if that's what the parent compass is. Is it possible for the compass to get out of whack? Meaning it doesn't point true north. Is that possible? It's probable. <laughs> okay. Right. If I think, I mean, I think all of us can, it's kind of going back to what Cindy says, I think all of us can admit I, I messed it multiple times just yesterday, you know? Um, but I think the idea of the parent compass is to then right the ship and get back on track, right? So, so kind of constantly reminding ourselves that, Oops, I messed up. Also, now I need to apologize to my child. I need to open up those lines of communication, um, express humility, um, tell my child that I'm constantly trying to do better, role model that kind of thinking for my kids because I want to teach them that they can make mistakes um, and that they can own up to those mistakes. And that's all right. Um, So 
so yeah, I think I, I get off track every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you brought up something interesting. And so I want to, I want to explore that for just a little bit. Now you, you all don't talk specifically about this in the book, but, but go with me here. Uh, there's a reason for me asking this. You mentioned apologizing when you, when you did something wrong. Um, I, I want to ask it this way. Do you say I'm sorry, or do you say I was wrong? And, and do you uh, appreciate the difference between the two? Yeah. So, you know, that's been, that's that, that debate of, of vocabulary that's used or semantics, whatever we want to call it, um, has been written about in lots of articles, as we know, and kids get used to just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then that just doesn't, you know, hold the weight of what might've occurred. Um, I'm fine, honestly, with I'm sorry and then qualifying why you're sorry, you know, just defining it. I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry that I made a bad choice. I'm sorry that um, I did something wrong and I'm going to try to fix it or whatever it might be. Um, but owning, you know, owning the mistake obviously is the bigger, you know, answer and kind of, you know, admitting, you know, the failure or the mistake. And and what we do right away in the book, um, in the very first chapter, is we created this student questionnaire and this parent questionnaire to um, allow to just, it's the only time we really invite teens into the book to, you know, answer this questionnaire. And the way, the way we word it and phrase it is for parents to say to their kids, hey, listen, I'm reading this parenting book because I want to do better. I'm not perfect and I want to be a better parent. And when a kid hears you saying, I will admit I'm not great at this and I'm learning too, it, it kind of fits you a little bit more on, a, on a, you know, the same learning plane here. And they do perk up if you find the right moment. Now, obviously, you know, you don't want to do it right when they walk in the door and when they're distracted by something on their social media or when they're in the middle of watching a sports game or whatever it is. You want to find the right moment to do this and tell your kid, hey, listen, I'm reading this book. Will you take a minute and or, you know, a few minutes and answer these questions? You can do it on your phone. We could do it out loud. I'm going to answer mine, too. And let's just take a little bit of time to talk about our answers mm -hmm. so that we can together figure out how we can make this work better, how I can parent you better and how we can communicate better in this process. And some of that comes with going back to your original question of like admitting not quite you're sorry, but that you don't have all the answers and you may be wrong some of the time and that you're willing to self-improve. And I think that that's what apologizing is all about. It's making a mistake, owning the mistake, acknowledging the mistake, and then moving on from the mistake. And hopefully the next time or maybe three times later, you won't make that same mistake. So, you know, we're all human. We're not robots. We're fallible. And I think the sooner our kids see that in us, it's really interesting because parents try to hold this sort of front in this persona and some other parents just want to be their kid's buddy and pal and friend and never say no. And I think somewhere in the middle there is probably where we all want to try to be because we want our kids to like us, but we want them to also respect us. And we all hear that structure and rules and those things are also important in, in their lives. But um, I don't know. I, my vote would be you could go with either. It just depends on how you qualify that I'm sorry. So that's a long-winded answer to your short <laughs> question. I don't know if Jen has anything to add. I apologize. I think that was very so much airtime. <laughs> okay. Well, <clears throat> my reason for asking this is because when my kids were younger, I made the decision that, and much to my own chagrin for the numerous phone calls I got from teachers, I told my kids, look, when you do something wrong, that is an irrefutable fact. We can't get past that. So when you do something wrong, you must admit you were wrong. Um, I'll, this is just 
me and where I'm coming from, but I also insisted that they ask for forgiveness of the other person. Cause if you did something wrong, there's something to be forgiven. I said, however, if you're not actually sorry for doing it, don't say you're sorry because you're lying on top of it. So don't do that because, you know, in schools, they insist that the kids, when they have those altercations, say they're sorry. And I, you know, I went to the principal's office more than once to say, look, my child did the exact right thing. You know, he or she was not sorry. And to be honest, I was proud of what they did. I've, I've said that more than once. So um, that's my reason for asking that, because I think there is a distinction between those two things. And I think what you're doing in doing that is teaching your kids authenticity, which I think is a really important lesson, right? Like we got to be authentic with how we're feeling. So, um, yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that, that they learn to say what they mean and, and mean what they say. Absolutely. You know, and this is a great place for me to jump into something that I have much further in my notes, but this is a good place to do it. I want to talk about the difference between failing and failure. I would love to know what you both think about that. Um, so we talk a lot about um, making mistakes in the parent compass, and that's all in a chapter that has to do with praising the journey and not the destination. And um, our whole point in that chapter is that um, we want, I think it comes naturally to, to ourselves, um, as well as a lot of parents, to praise, for example, a certain grade that a kid got. So if my kid comes home with an A on a project that I know he or she worked really hard on, I'm going to say, wow, congrats on the A, that's amazing. Um, but really, in the long run, um, that kind of praise can be doing our kids a disservice. And instead, um, I my, my child might be better served by me saying, you know what, I saw the late nights that you put into that project, or I saw how many times you went and sought extra help from your teacher. I'm so proud of you for that kind of effort. This, this must feel good for you. Um, and, and in doing so, we are helping to foster what's called a growth mindset in our kids. This idea of um, active pursuit of challenges, embracing failure, which I'll get to in a second, because that is all a part of the same conversation. Um, because the the child starts to see that um, if I work on my intelligence or talents or, or whatever it is, um, then I can grow that. But if we focus too much on the outcome, then the kid is going to start to say, okay, well, you know, what what's next? Or they start to develop a fixed mindset, which is I'm either smart or not, or I'm either good at this or not. So what they start to do is they start to shy away from making mistakes. They, they don't like to really embrace risks because if they fail, if they make a mistake, then, then they're, they're, that whole identity that they've started to wrap themselves up in is going to be toppled and or they may be disappointing us as parents. So, um, we, we talk a lot about trying to normalize mistakes, normalize um, times when a child might fail in a task, um, making them do hard things and watching them as they fail doing that hard thing and standing with them and helping them to troubleshoot and work through what went wrong, come up with a plan, not jump in and fix it, not jump in and um, take those feelings of sadness or disappointment away, but sitting with them while they're grappling with those difficult feelings. Gotcha. 
And I think I just add to that. So it was beautifully put, Jen. Thank you for <laughs> for getting to that. Um, I think I would also add to that that they need to see us fail and make mistakes too, and and model that. And you know, and whether it's telling stories about you know a, something that happened to you in you know your teen years, which sometimes they roll their eyes and think, oh, you were never a teenager. You don't get it. It's so different now. But or just as an adult, I mean, the mistakes and failures, you know. I was just visiting one of my kids in college and I said something, he, he plays soccer and the game ended. And I said something to one of his teammates that I meant as a compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, and the kid kind of looked at me a little perplexed and walked away. And my son turned to me and he was like, oh my God, mom, like, why did you just say that? And I went, no, no, I meant it like in a good way. So the, the reality was they'd lost the game. And I said to the kid, this other kid who usually comes through with like that extra goal or whatever it is. I said, oh, we're rooting for you. You know, we thought, you know, it would happen and you did so great, but you know, we're sorry it didn't or something like that. And my son thought it was so offensive the way I said that. And he said, did you look at its fate? And I went, oh my God, no, I, I, I definitely didn't mean it that way. What should I do? Should I, should I text him? Should I tell his mom? Should it, can you tell him I'm sorry? Like, what do you want me to do? He's like, no, 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 don't say anything. I'll, I'll let him know when we get back to the house, but just don't just open your mouth and say things like think about it before you speak. And I thought, well, there's the lesson from the from the college student and his mother who who doesn't have trouble opening her mouth very often. But I opened my mouth and what came out, although really unintentional, was received as something unkind. And again, totally not my intention. But right. but I had to then kind of apologize to my son a couple of times. because I felt really bad. This is a good friend of his. I wasn't meaning to offend him, but. Somehow I did in my sort of nervousness slash excitement of being on a campus and seeing them play. And even though they lost, I was saying something. Anyway, the end of the story is um, I even texted the kid's mom and said how great her son is and how glad I am their friend. I mean, I just, I didn't know what else to do, but I owned it. And, you know, again, wasn't my intention, but I think we need to show our kids that if they call us on making a mistake, a mistake, or even if they don't, we'll admit a mistake too, you know, and... This was a weird example, but the point was, wasn't intentional, but it was received as a mistake. And so I said, okay, I, I own it. I hear you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I said this. So I'll qualify it based on your question before. But anyway, I, I think we need to model that we make mistakes too and how we recover from them or how we learn from them and grow in new directions. So I'm sure. zipping my lip a little more in the future. <laughs> okay. Um- my reason for asking that is because I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, and you'll hear the mantra of things like failure is not an option. Okay. First of all, that's garbage because it absolutely is. And not only is it an option, uh, I'm going to provide my definitions for those terms. Um, I believe it is an active choice. So for me, failing means I'm trying something new. I didn't do it right, and now I have an opportunity to learn from it. That's failing. Failure, on the other hand, I'm choosing to do nothing to improve in this particular situation. Now, between those two, the latter, I cannot help anyone who is determined to stay in that spot. I can't. The former, I can work with that person all day long. So to me, as a parent, I think, is, is sort of, the the consulting role that you're talking about is our role, um, our, our role as parents. Yeah. In fact, Jen, what you were talking about before, um, like parents praising a grade versus 
the process that led to the grade, is that not a condemnation of our entire educational system? I mean, seriously, that is what is, okay, I realize I'm going to make some people upset by what I'm about to say, but I am okay with that. That doesn't bother me. Unfortunately, our system seems to be set up to create a bunch of mindless drones who stand in line, who all do the same thing over and over again, not just as children, not just as teens, but then we're going to make them adult employees, that that's all they do. It's like, we just accept what's given to us and that's it. We're not teaching them how to think for themselves, how to act for themselves. I have to fit within whatever these prescribed parameters are. And I'm like, I don't get that. I mean, how many schools do you know of that actively promote things like entrepreneurship? Very. So this is one of our, our, I know this is kind of getting off into a tangent a bit, so I'll mention it very briefly, but this is sort of, this is one of our problems with, um, it's another chapter that we wrote in the book with the college rankings, because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't understand that the college rankings, um, those algorithms are not measuring necessarily what they think that, that they're measuring. And they certainly aren't measuring things like, can they come out with excellent creative thinking skills? Can they come out with analytical skills? Um, are they prepared well for the workforce? Did they take advantage of um, mentorship opportunities? And what's the presence of mentorship opportunities on a, a particular campus? So I think that those things get missed when families really revere the rankings and think that they really are saying that, you know, number 32 is appreciably better than number 41. Um, the reality is, no, you need to dig deeper and see what what type of school is the right fit for your student. And if that kind, those kinds of thinking skills and, um, you know, you want, you want those types of things fostered in your child, look way beyond the rankings. Look at the, look at the educational priorities of your student and then the educational priorities and the learning approach of any given college. For sure. I think I would add to your concept of the high school experience being or the school experience kind of creating drones and kids that have to be inside of the box thinkers. What I would want to point out is an organization we love called Challenge Success. Mm -hmm. And Challenge Success, um, the co-founder of that, Denise Pope, um, who is a Stanford professor and um, has written several books of her own and has really studied um, high school students by putting herself in high schools and actually interviewing hundreds and hundreds of students. It's a very data-driven organization that, you know, that serves as many high schools and communities as possible. But anyway, uh, Denise wrote the forward to the Parent Compass because we're speaking a lot of the same language. And what Challenge Success does is they try to basically redefine what success means in a high school setting, not based on Mm -hmm. kids that are grades and test scores and numbers, but kids who um, you know, are excited to learn, kids who have more time to sleep, kids who have more time to pass between classes so that they can socialize a little bit, kids who can be on a challenge success board within their school to change the dialogue between the teachers, the school, the administration, and the parents. Mm-hmm. And they do these wonderful sort of think tank. A challenge success enters high schools and does these sort of surveying and and cross-pollinating and and interdisciplinary communication between these various sort of factions of schools in order to promote change. The change takes a while. It's slow, as we know. You know, same with college admissions. It is slow for change, even with a scandal 
that's, you know, in the booze headlines for two years. How much will really still change in the process? We don't know. And we will only know over time and kind of the years ahead. And then forget it, throw COVID into things. And we're really, you know, pulling out our hair and, and kind of like shooting, shooting in the dark. <laughs> so the point is that, you know, kind of what you said is that I think there's an awareness and we are encouraging our kids to kind of think differently and, 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 you know, and question, you know, things and not just do what's inside the box. But the system right now is kind of forcing you, at least in high school, to be inside the box. I think in college, there's a lot more freedom to pursue the classes that you want to take to learn for learning's sake and to pursue individual interests that you enjoy. There's just less time to do that in high school because of the requirements and because of you know, what it takes to graduate right now. I mean, my heart, Jen and I, our hearts go out to these kids right now in high school. Um, it's hard for years. It's demanding and it expects a lot and it takes a lot out of these kids. I always felt like, you know, high school was the hard work and college was the reward. Um, you know, it was just like, you know, there's this carrot out there and, and you're going to get there. And, um, you know, there is a great four years of your life ahead. But Meanwhile, while they're in there, we want them to be mentally healthy and we want them to to try to find those moments where they can just enjoy what they're doing and and be free and laugh and and have a little bit of flexibility built into their lives. Sure. You know, something I like to ask all of my guests is this question. I would love to know your definition of success. So, Jen, what's yours? I think success is the ability to self-advocate. I think success is the ability to have intact and healthy relationships. Mm. Um, I think success is the ability to effectively communicate with other people. Um, I think it is um, living a life and, and, and knowing how to live a life of, of intention and having grit and resilience, um, you know, and, and, and having our own self-confidence to know who we are and to be comfortable in that. Love that. That's how I define success. Cindy, what about you? I, I would, I'd agree with everything Jen said and that I'd maybe just say success is, is finding what it is or more than one thing, what the things are that make you excited to wake up in the morning and live your life and hopefully settling into, you know, a future or a career that involves things that, you know, that make you happy to be doing what you're doing. Not at all moments. Of, you know, we don't, you know, we all eventually go to jobs somewhere and we don't love everything about our jobs, whatever those may be. There's always going to be complaints, but finding a, something that makes you feel that you're a contributing member of society with purpose in something that brings you, you know, personal joy and personal happiness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for those definitions. Love those. Um, you know, one of the things, and it's hard for teenagers to really grasp a hold of this next part, but I... I've tried with my kids to talk to them about this, trying to, to discover things about themselves, figure, essentially figure out who they are and why they're here. Because why else are we here if we're not to know those two things? Because the answers to those two questions determines a whole lot of other things. And so I, I throw out, uh, in fact, my youngest, my youngest teenage daughter, Tatum, we were talking about this recently and cause she knows that I work with people and I talk to them all the time about how to figure those things out, especially discovering their purpose, their why. And so I gave her the three questions that I typically ask people. Uh, and I say this, you know, what breaks your heart? What makes you mad? And what problem do you solve? Typically the answer is the same for all three. Now for me, 
it happens to be um, men. So specifically, one of the things that I do is I work with men to try and help them get better at relationships. Because when they're better at relationships at home, they can be better at their relationships in business. You know, because anybody who tells you um, that business isn't personal is lying. Business is completely personal because it involves people. You can't name for me one business that exists that doesn't have at least one person involved. It's not possible. And so because of my divorce, that's part of what led me to where I am. I mean, pain leads to purpose, leads to platform. Those, again, I could talk about this stuff forever, which is not specifically related to what you all are doing. But um, it's critically important, I think, even to begin to implant these things in our kids, even at a young age, to start to think about that. Because I knew relatively early, my oldest, Ethan, I knew that he was going to do something computer related. I just knew he happens to be going into cybersecurity, but I knew he was going to do that. It became pretty evident fairly early on. Uh, my youngest Tatum, she is going to be an entrepreneur. I know it. I know it. I know it because she has started probably a dozen businesses in the last six years. I wonder where she got that. I, <laughs> she does kind of come by it. Actually, so she, she sees it modeled with some frequency. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I, and I love that, you know, my other two have no desire. In fact, with my son, I told him, it's like, Hey, this whole cybersecurity thing, here's the thing, you know, get into it, Ethan, start to study it. And after you're a couple years into it, while you're still in school, let's create something on the side here. Let's create a business. So you can start to maybe some smaller businesses who can't hire a large firm or even hire somebody specifically to take care of that for their business. But you could do that and you could begin to bring in some of these other guys that you're working or gals that you're working with there in college, start to build this business up. And then by the time you get out, you can still have a regular job, but you have this other thing going. You know what his comment to me was? I don't know how to run a business. And I said, Ethan, I do. I know how to start it and I know how to run it. It's like, I can do all that. All you got to do is do your thing because I don't know how to do that thing, but I can do the other stuff. And his, his, it was just, it blew his mind. He was like, oh, dad, that's, that's too, just too much pressure, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm like, all right, all right. So I let it go. I tried you, to try it. You planted the seeds. seeds. Yes, I did. And I still occasionally try and till that ground, you know, but I try to water it and fertilize it occasionally. <laughs> You know, you never know. You never know. You know, sometimes it takes a week, a month, a year for that idea to sort of implant in their head. And then you'd be mm -hmm. surprised. He may come back to you and say, I was thinking about maybe recruiting some of my college friends to start this thing out. What do you think? And you'll go, what a great idea. And you won't exactly. take any credit for it. Yes, you right. just give it back to him to own. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, because I guess this is kind of the approach that I take, especially with my oldest, who's 21. Um, Technically speaking, I am his dad. That will never change. But I feel like I'm, I'm more of a guide than anything now to him. So he occasionally comes to me with things and I provide insight. But if he does something with it, okay. And if he doesn't, well, that's his choice. There's not much I can do about that. And so I don't have the kind of control doesn't sound like the right word here, but I, I don't have, you know, the oversight that I used to have, you know, when he was living with me and we were kind of all together, that sort of thing. So it's different now. Um, are you all noticing the need for more autonomy from these students that you're working with and feedback you're getting from parents right now? I mean, is it getting younger and younger? I, I do. I think, um, 
I was, I was actually just thinking about this a little bit the other day. Um, obviously our lens is college admission, right? That's, that's our, our field. And, um, so I, I would say part of my answer has to do with, you know, I see a lot of parents who are still talking over their kids, talking for their kids, doing, waking their kids up, um, reminding them to take their homework in. And, and we're talking about like 17, 18 year old kids, um, scheduling appointments for them. That was one of my biggest pet peeves when a 17 year old kid cannot schedule an appointment with me. Um, you know, you, you should be able to do that at that point. Um, so, so that's one part of my answer. I will also say, and, and this is anecdotal, this is just what I'm noticing, but college admission has gotten real wonky, um, in recent years, but particularly as a result of COVID in the sense that it's become, um, it's become more unpredictable. It's become all the more competitive. It's become more uncertain. Um, and, and people are, I think, um, scared. And especially in, in our area, um, our respective areas where it is, where, where academics um, and kind of the educational field are, are very competitive. Sure. And I have noticed um, parents kind of trying to tighten the reins a bit um, as a result of COVID to, so that they can feel a little bit more control because I think that it's rooted in a bit of fear and uncertainty and not knowing about, you know, what the next four years are going to look like. So. Again, that's anecdotal, but um, hopefully that answers your question just from what what I'm noticing. Sure, sure. You know, it's interesting. You bring up COVID. I'll go ahead and ask this because you all deal with the admissions process when it comes to college. Are you noticing more colleges that students who are wanting to enroll even remotely, meaning they'll never be on campus ever, them saying no to students because they're choosing not to vaccinate? I, I don't think I can speak to the whole vaccination thing. I mean, like I said, I visited my son in college over the weekend and, you know, his school is doing a great job of you know requiring vaccinations and doing weekly COVID testing. And they're like l- their numbers are, you know, less than six percent over the last six weeks. I mean, they're very low and very, I guess I would say safe in quotes. Meanwhile, my high schooler, you know, told me today, yeah, you guys, you and dad should probably get the booster because at some point one of us is going to bring home COVID, even though they're at a school that's also vaccinated and testing. It's just I think there's these breakthrough situations with the people who are choosing not to vaccinate or also just kids who are exposed to people, not necessarily at school, but in lots of different places, the grocery or airplanes or who knows where. Um, so I'm not really an expert to speak to that. I think that colleges are really trying hard to bring kids back. I mean, they want kids on their campuses. They were not designed or built to be remote learning campuses. They, they understand what how painful that was for so many kids. And they're doing their best, I really think, in this weird time to bring have as many kids be on campus as possible. But I do see them tightening the reins and also following the governmental um, you know, what's being stated by the government of of requiring vaccinations or if not requiring, you know, very frequent testing, negative testing to allow kids in. Um, and I guess that being said, um, in terms of admitting kids who have no intention of going on campus, we don't I just don't know enough about that. I don't think kids are applying to college hoping to be remote students unless they're I just is, I don't think that's happening. Their intention is to hopefully leave home and be somewhere. Um, whether it's a local community college or whether it's a you know college across the country, gotcha. To be physically there, okay. Um, 
Now, how, when it comes to this whole process, my next question, yes, it has to do with parenting and it may to a certain extent have something to do with the college admissions process in your research for the book, as well as your respective careers. Are you noticing an upward trend? I'm going to use the word epidemic of teens being medicated for a variety of things, uh, such as depression, anxiety, ADD slash ADHD, other things like that. Are you noticing a continual upward trend in that? I don't know that I can speak to being medicated, mostly because many times I'm not privy to that information. Um, I might notice that a student's experiencing a lot of anxiety and point that out to a parent um, or notice that you know, they seem to have a, a depressed mood um, or a parent might let me know that. Um, but because so much of our focus is on academic planning and college admission itself, um, a lot of times that information isn't volunteered to me because it's not a medical setting. Um, you know, I, I, I used to work in ADHD research, but that was many years ago. Um, I will say, you know, I, I routinely work with students diagnosed with ADHD, but again, their medication regimen um, and whether or not they're choosing medication as the form of their treatment um, isn't necessarily something that I work with. Uh, okay. Well, well maybe, maybe the emphasis shouldn't be on the medication side then, but are you seeing more examples of this happening with these students? Maybe in terms of there's more anxiety in order to get into whatever they deem the yes. right school and yes. that depression I, yeah. when they don't. And yes, because I, 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 I do remember when I was younger, having that many people, I mean, yeah, they'd be a little upset if they didn't get into their first choice of college, but not like the stuff that I'm seeing now, not even close. Yeah. Okay. So, so if we're just talking about anxiety and depression, um, in general, then, then absolutely. And I will say my impression, as opposed to maybe if I say like a decade ago, um, the the highs and the lows do seem to be stronger. And I think that it's um, potentially the result of a variety of factors. I think it has become more competitive and students are more and more tying it to their identity. And so if they get a no, it means that they're a bad person or they're not, you know, whatever in their mind. That's how they take um, a potential a college saying no to them. Um, and the, the pressure that they put on themselves to get into maybe a certain school or quote, a good school or the right school or a school that will make their parents proud. I do believe that that has grown in my experience. Um, I think part of it also has to do with social media. I don't think that we can, um, neglect to mention the effect that social media has had on these things. Um, as it relates to college admission in particular, I do think that, um, you know, students donning their sweatshirts and taking pictures in their sweatshirts kind of ratchets things up. But then much beyond that, um, I'll give an example. One student last year um, had to give up, was, was, was almost forced to give up social media for a couple of months when her results were not what she, she had, in my opinion, she had fine, great results, but they weren't what she wanted to, them to be and they weren't what her what we're going to allow her to, you know, again, quote, air quote, live up to her sister 
And she was so distraught and devastated over it and not prepared to deal with the disappointment Mm. um, that she had to give up her social media for several months because all she could see was people bragging about the schools they were going to and the name brand this and the name brand that. Um, and she just, she frankly couldn't take it. So I do think that social media also really exacerbates the problem. Um, and kids are constantly comparing themselves to one another and it adds to all the pressure that's already there because it's already a stressful process. Gotcha. I think we could also turn to, um, you know, like the, the Pew research studies or even studies done by challenge success to probably find more numeric you know, answers, more statistics um, on, you know, on that que- that original question you're asking about, are we seeing an increase? I mean, without even looking at the science, I would probably say yes, <laughs> but I haven't looked at the science close enough to, to, you know, to do that answer. And Jen and I are working with a, you know, with a, a smaller, uh, you know, audience that's very specific in, right. in our particular regions. But what I will say is um, in that, in the chapter on college admissions that we talk about in the parent compass and the parent's role, it is extremely, extremely important. We can't underline that or highlight that enough that parents have conversations before the decisions come out right. with their kids to prepare for the disappointment, to expect the disappointment. And um, for some of these kids, this might be the first time they feel they have failed at something or failed their parents or failed themselves or whatever. And to reassure our kids that, look, you know, you are not the name of your school. There is a college for everyone. You know, we keep reminding kids there are 4,000 plus colleges out there and over half of them accept over half, over 50% of their applicants. So there are, there's a place for every single person who wants to go to college. There's also a lot of alternatives, which we can talk about too, to, you know, if we want to move into that. But the point is these conversations need to be had well before. And these college lists that kids create need to be created so that they cover the the, the fantasy dream school or two and a good number of real sure bets, you know, real safe places that they're, you know, pr- were pretty confident based on grades test scores and then history of their school and looking at the scattergrams, et cetera, that are going to be great fits for them and that they feel, you know, really well suited for. And then a few in between. So um, anyway, if we do want to talk about the science, there, there was a Pew Research study done that said that 70% of 13 to 17 year olds ranked anxiety and depression as their chief concern over things like bullying, over things like drugs and teen pregnancy. Um, anxiety and depression are their number one concern. And there was another study done at the University of Michigan that showed in the last 10 years, anxiety and depression rates have doubled um, when for, for college age students. Um, and we know that those symptoms um, are are beginning well before they actually step foot onto college campus. They're, they're finding their foundation in the years before that. So um, that I, just, I just gave those numbers a thumbs up. I, if anyone's going to watch this, I didn't mean thumbs up to that stat. I just meant thank you for finding that stat, Chen. Not, not, that's great news, okay? So just anyone who might see me giving a thumbs up, that would be confusing. But I'm just going to say it out loud here for those listening that I gave that a thumbs up, but it was because Jen found us some data. So thank you, Jen. <laughs> for sure. Now, I, had, I have a, a slightly different question because uh, the, the target audience for this particular podcast happens to be men. Although the interesting part in all that is that over half of the listeners and viewers are women. So I don't know if that means I'm doing a poor job 
at reaching my target audience or I'm doing an even better job and it's expanding out further. So yeah, maybe women are listening and telling their partners or spouses or whatever, hey, you know, or ex-spouses, hey, listen to this guy. <laughs> that's, that's entirely possible. You're right. Yeah. And yeah. and just so you folks know, it's not just my mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my question is this, knowing that there are clear differences between men and women, or in this particular case, moms and dads, are there different types of support that our teens need from, say, a mom versus a dad? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think that book clubs in general um, tend to, uh, you know, be more female populated. And the, our book has taken off in the book club world. Uh, maybe lots more women are buying the book and, and wanting to talk about it with friends and build a village of like-minded, supportive parents. But uh, we've talked with other, you know, podcasts, including yours that, you know, kind of have the male audiences. And our book is is absolutely written for and designed for, you know, moms, dads, men, women, caregivers, you know, regardless of gender, uh, because, you know, this is a, a team effort, a team project and self-improvement can come from anyone who's male or female. I mean, we originally titled the book, um, we had some other titles before. It was really like an etiquette book, but we were worried. One of our titles, I think, was uh, Parents Behave with an exclamation point. And Jen and I thought, well, no one's going to carry that book around. Like, what are you reading a book about? Like, to learn to behave better. But the reality is that Parent Compass is trying to teach us all how to behave better. And Men and women, you know, make lots of mistakes equally and maybe do it in slightly different ways that are maybe gender focused. It also depends on the gender that you're parenting. So you may parent a daughter or a son slightly different from the perspective of a mom or a dad or whatever it might be. But I would say um, the book serves everyone. And and perhaps if we'd done more studies together, we would see that maybe more women are buying it, but then they're reading it and handing it across the you know, across the pillow to their husband or reading chapters out loud, whatever it might be. I find myself doing that a lot. Um, my husband is not a reader. He's a, he's a lawyer. So he reads lots of documents in the day and doesn't want to do extra reading at night. So I find myself highlighting sections and saying, let me read you this or, hey, let's try this or whatever from, from you know, other parenting books that I'm turning to. Mm -hmm. So, or just, you know, things I'm reading. So I don't know anything else, Jen, on that. <laughs> Audio, audiobooks for your hubby. And then, yeah, we get yeah, it. We have, we yeah, have it. an audio book. Yeah. Yeah. The Paracondas is on Audible. And, and we're happy to actually give one of your listeners, um, you know, a copy. If you want to, you know, do a little contest and this goes live, we'll do a giveaway and, and people could listen to it. All right. Well, let's throw that out right now. So yeah, if you've gotten this far in the conversation, <laughs> that's a good thing for you because here's an opportunity. If you like what you've heard so far and you would love to read The Parent Compass, we will make that available to you. So what you have to do is you have to take a screenshot of the episode that you're either watching or listening to. You have to tag Cindy, you have to tag Jen, and you have to tag me. All three of us. That's important. Or really just, or just add Parent Compass. It's Parent Compass. Okay. At Parent Compass. We are an account. Yeah. yeah they're, they're making it easy for you guys. I wouldn't make it easy for you. <laughs> I'm going to make it work. Great. Yeah. And if you do great. that, we will get that to you. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> okay. Well, we're getting close to wrap up time, ladies. Uh, and trust me, we could go much further, but your time is very valuable and I want to honor that. And so, you know, let me ask you this. If folks want to find you, where can they find you? Uh, there, we're everywhere. I mean, I guess you could say we're everywhere. You could find us certainly at our website, parentcompassbook.com. That's all inclusive with, you know, tabs on pretty much everything. 
Um, we're also on Instagram at Parent Compass. We're on Twitter at Parent Compass One. We're on Facebook at the Parent Compass. And we're on LinkedIn at our names, Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis. That might be a little trickier, but if you're a LinkedIn folk, you can just type in our names. Mm. And, um, you know, we're, we also will pop into anyone's uh, book club. So if you do a virtual book club, Jen and I will, or even if for in-person one, we'll zoom in and say hello and be part of your conversation. Just reach out to us on our book club tab on the website. And, um, you know, we, we'd love sharing this book with you. We so appreciate your, you know, interest in it and in the topic. And we want to say to all the dads and moms out there listening, but especially the dads, that the Parent Compass is for you. Um, you can get a copy and then share it with your partner. Um, or if you're a single dad, you can also just read it yourself and pass it along when you're done to another single dad. It's the kind of book that's really easy to to change your life within a weekend. You can read it over the weekend and and take action the very next day and begin to follow your parent compass. That's fantastic. In fact, this is what I'm going to recommend viewers and listeners. Now, you've heard me talk about this before, and that is this. When you purchase a copy of the book, you need to make it at least two copies. And here's why. One's for you and one's to give away. Don't loan books because you're never going to get them back. Trust me, I learned that lesson a long time ago. Just buy an extra copy, give it away. You'd be surprised. I know one time when I gave a copy of a book away, it was shared at least seven times that I know of. John, you did that. That's how you found us. You went yeah. somewhere and you purchased yeah. two copies. So look at that. Yeah. Right. We are. And we've I, been to I, that. I give so a shout out to Brian Ward. You... <laughs> Brian Ward is how I found the two of you because you were yeah, on we've... Brian's podcast, the Dad Up podcast. And so that's how I found these two amazing ladies in this fantastic book that they wrote. And I am just so honored that you all decide to spend some time with us today. I'll put this one little side note out there um because you two probably don't know this i'm actually writing a book uh, thank you it's called masculine revolution how to ask for directions without losing your man card and i love it i love it <laughs> and, it, and it, it is all about helping men get better at relationships i love that well you got to let us know when it comes out yeah absolutely. we'll share it absolutely we'll do it all right. So I've this, I do this with all my guests. I have a final four. They're four quick questions. You just tell me the first thing that pops in your head. Okay. And you guys can alternate them if that works better for you. Okay. All right. So here's the first one. Um, so who's taking the first one? Cause it will make a difference. I'll take right. it. Cindy, you take it. Okay. So Cindy, why did God create you? So what's your purpose? Why are you here? To bring energy and enthusiasm to the world. I love that. <laughs> That's so good. Okay, so Jen, let me ask you this. What are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? A book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And um, it is really making me reevaluate um, the way I hurry through life. Mm. It's an excellent book, by the way. So we'll be sure to include that in the show notes. Um, Cindy, what do you do for fun? Oh, I try to grab a walk or a meal with a friend and I love to play Scrabble with my family. So anyone who will pick up a game of Scrabble, join me for two letter words, three letter words, whatever. <laughs> All right. I love that. All right. And Jen, what are you most grateful for? My, uh, well, two, can I say two things? Of course. You can say as many as you want. Okay. Okay. Um, my two daughters and my husband and um, wrapped up in that are health. Okay. Love that. Love that. 
Well, again, ladies, thank you so much for your time today. We certainly are very appreciative of that. Uh, I hope that you felt like you were heard today and that you were able to get some of your message out. Now, obviously, I didn't give the whole book away, but, you know, I gave enough of it away that folks should have their interest peaked because I know when I heard you on Brian's podcast, I was like, okay, I got to get this book. I got to read it and I got to meet these ladies. So thank you. Thank you so much, John. And you're doing an awesome job, John, as a dad, a podcaster, you know, making a difference in the world with the things that you're sharing. I mean, it's really been a pleasure and an honor to be your guest and to, to have this conversation. I, I mean, the two of us could truly spend many more conversations with you. So thank you for finding us and, and inviting us. We really enjoyed the time. You bet. Well, thank you both for being here. Thank you, viewers and listeners, for being here. We certainly want to honor your time, which is your most precious and non-renewable resource. So thank you for being here, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.